listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. co-create them some years back, uh, and we did a couple of things that I thought were really particularly uh, fun. We decided to see if we could in any way escape the haze that had kind of settled over the, the area um, due to the horrific fires, and um, we went down to Santa Cruz and found that it was just as bad. So that was kind of uh, kind of interesting, interesting for us. The uh, time spent though with Grandpa was was quite cool. And then our way our way back, the song uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came on came on the uh, the radio, and they both had heard it before, but this time they were like, Dad, Dad, when it ends, can you stop? Stop, turn, it, turn, turn the radio off. I'm like, yeah, sure. I didn't know what that was about. But I'm driving along and kind of, you know, it's got a moosh, it's got a moosh. And, 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 you know, I'm singing along with it and everything. Galileo, Galileo, you know. And the song finally wraps. And I, and I turn it off. And I look up in the rearview mirror. And they're both just, and they look at each other. And they're like, that's amazing. And I went, Yeah. I remember the first time I heard that song. And really? How old is it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, well, let's see. That, that would have been right as I about when I was entering into uh, uh, eighth grade, I think, uh, just about, maybe freshman year in high school, whatever. We started talking about that. And they go, what does Bohemian mean? Well, it means Eastern European from Bohemia, but it's come to mean being kind of hip, kind of cool. And Rhapsody is uh, rooted in the word rapture, and then I kind of went off in my uh, etymological uh, uh, nerdiness, and they're like, uh, 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 okay. <laughs> that's the movie that's out, right? And I'm like, yeah. Can we see that? Yeah. Let's go see it. Now, I, I put my faith in the rating system that knowing full well that uh, 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 70s and 80s rock bands tended to have somewhat hedonistic experiences and how this was going to be depicted on film was a little bit worrisome for a father of two daughters, 11 and 9. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that the film I thought was magnificently crafted and the story held in kind of a cool way, where there's this arc of a, uh, of a baggage handler at Heathrow who becomes one of the greatest rock vocalists ever, uh, and a huge creative force among four guys, all of whom really, you wouldn't think these guys would ever end up together. You had a, uh, an astrophysicist who was just shy of his, his doctorate. You had a dentist, again, just shy of getting his doctorate. You then had an electrical engineer 
we decided to play bass on a whim and the baggage handler. And the baggage handler, of course, was Freddie Mercury. Uh, and anyway, this, this story of how this guy just crashes. But then, I don't know if any of you remember, the, the Live Aid Festival that Bob Geldof put together, raising money for starving children in Africa. Uh, they asked me about that after the movie. And they said, did you, did you go to that? Because they, of course, think I went to any and all great uh, uh, rock and roll extravaganzas. And I said, you know what? I didn't. But I watched it on satellite with around 40 friends. We had this party. And um, the strangest thing happened when they took the stage. And they were by no means a band. Queen was not a band that I followed, typically. But when they took that stage, that party stopped cold. Everybody had their eyes on that TV. It was the strangest thing. And, and they depicted it eerily uh, congruent to how, in the film, how it unfolded for me. And I bring this up because it was a study in presence. Uh, was a, it was a band scared to death. They had not really been together in any capacity for some time except uh, the, uh, a week or two immediately prior to the concert. And they hit it out of the park in a way that, like, when people talk about that particular event, they talk about their performance in the event, how it was just so, it was so transcendent, and how the connection, the presence that occurred is something that we have at our fingertips every moment. And that's where gratitude unfolds in ways that needs no words. So to my surprise, as I kind of cracked open, I, I've, been, I've been reading uh, David White's uh, Consolations, The Solace, Nourishment, and Underlying Meaning of Everyday Words. And, and, and so I, I popped it open a day, wouldn't you know? Gratitude. And I, I want to read to you just two brief paragraphs uh, of this real quickly. I thought it was so... So rich, especially in this time during this time of year. I, I've always found Thanksgiving to be the the most precious to me, soul-wise, because it really is a chance to kind of take stock. I always loved the um, uh, in the Jewish tradition, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, for the same kind of reason. It's like, all right, all right, wow, what a gift all of this has been, and then being able to kind of recognize it in a in a uh, fruitful way. Um, David White says, gratitude is not a passive response to something we have been given. Gratitude arises from paying attention, from being awake in the presence of everything that lives within and without us. Gratitude is not necessarily something that is shown after the event. It is the deep, a priori state of attention that shows we understand and are equal to the gifted nature of life. Gratitude is the understanding that many millions of things come together and live together and mesh together and breathe together in order for us to take even one more breath of air. That the underlying gift of human life and incarnation as a living participating human being is a privilege. That we are miraculously part of something rather than nothing. Even if that something is temporarily pain or despair, we inhabit a living world with real faces, real voices, laughter, the color blue, 
the green of the fields, the freshness of a cold wind, or the tawny hue of a winter landscape. To see the full miraculous essentiality of the color blue is to be grateful with no necessity for a word of thanks. To see fully the beauty of a daughter's face is to be fully grateful without having to seek a God to thank him. To sit among friends and strangers, hearing many voices, strange opinions, to intuit inner lives beneath surface lives, to inhabit many worlds at once in this world, to be a someone amongst all other someones, and therefore to make a conversation without saying a word is to deepen our sense of presence and therefore our natural sense of thankfulness that everything happens both with us and without us, that we are participants and witness all at once. Thanksgiving happens when our sense of presence meets all other presences. And so with that in mind, consider that. <coughs> consider your gratitude. What are you thankful for? Don't say it. Don't thank any entity, deity, person necessarily for it. Just own it. Own the gratitude. And be intimate with the gratitude. With the presence that you have before anything arises. Just the presence that you have. The awareness that you have. And we carry that weightless weight with us wherever we go. We just, we are that. This a priori sense of what is before all other things. It's just this awareness. And when awareness meets awareness, consciousness arises. At least this is what the teaching says. And I find it to be very useful because it takes a huge uh, burden off of ego's need to negotiate. If I give thanks for this, then this might happen. And this isn't just Christian. This happens in Buddhism all the time. If I do good deeds, then I'll come back, not as a snail, but as something, right? That's a great hiding place for ego. Now, I don't know if reincarnation happens or not. I don't care. It has nothing to do. It's a great hiding place for ego. That there is some afterlife or something later on, future mind gets boiled in that situation. And we want to kind of bring it back here to the gratitude that is prior to all things that arise. Maybe reincarnation does happen. We'll find out later. Okay? <laughs> That's not something I, I think we can get lost. Not, and again, not just in this tradition, not just in Buddhism, but in all sorts of other wisdom traditions where it's all about what happens next. That there's this amazing misinterpretation of karma where we think of good karma as being a good deed that is done in order to get us something else. Right? That's not karma. Karma is actually any action 
that is predicated on this, the separation of ego in relationship to all other things. When we act from an egoic place, in other words, we create suffering. What's ego's job? To cling. Another way of putting this, when we act from a place of clinging, of grip, of hanging on, when we act from that place, we're creating suffering for ourselves and by extension, everyone we meet. Because we are an attached, suffering individual, not only attracting other suffering individuals, but exacerbating their own sense of suffering. That's, if you will, the opposite of gratitude. That's clinging. That's what gets us into a space that, where we feel victimized. Or we actually start to create victims. And the way out of this is quite simple. Um, and we do that in subtle ways. I'm not saying, I mean, that, that might, you could extrapolate and, and make that sound really, really ugly. Um, typically, that's not the case. Typically, it's just very subtle. And we go through life in that place of uh, what you might call suffering light. Suffering light only requires double A batteries. It doesn't require <laughs> D batteries. But so the, the way out of big suffering or small suffering is the same. Let go. Be that a priori sense, that primary sense of awareness, of presence. That's where gratitude shows up. That's where forgiveness <coughs> just permeates everything. And that's where authentic spiritual work really takes off when we can kind of rest in that space. And we can do that whenever we sit still. We can rehearse it. We can rehearse it in a formal sitting situation so that then when we go out to the mall and we get tweaked, we can remember. We can, we can fall back on our practice, so to speak. So tonight as we sit, just try to be that presence. Rather than offering, here's a trick, offering thanks to someone else or to some other, rather than giving thanks to someone, can you be intimate with just that felt sense of gratitude? It's a subtle shift for many of us, but it's a very powerful one. And in that way, it's all thanksgiving. It's all thanksgiving. I was reading an article recently about uh, different interpretations of enlightenment. What, what really is, what is enlightenment? And I think there are a whole bunch of different definitions that we could use that uh, would make a lot of sense uh, and correspond with some version of the Dharma or the teaching. Um, 
And in this particular article, there were all these different interpretations of enlightenment, you know, does it mean, you know, the Buddha says it, it, it's done in the negative. In other words, it means the end of suffering. Um, that you are, you, you know, it's the, it's the end of greed, hate, and delusion. Uh, other traditions tend to look at it as the effortless, spontaneous, and continual expression of compassion. You know, recognition that everybody's going through their nightmare. Everyone in this room, everyone in this town, everyone in this state, this country, this world, this universe is going through their own special version of disaster. And, you know, with that recognition, we can oftentimes have a little bit of a, a softer, softer heart, softer mind for uh, uh, people that are going through that. There are still other other versions that are about cessation, meaning that there is an just this absolute experience of body mind dropped. That that there is a you know a complete and utter uh, peaceful opening. That mind is no longer uh, uh, conditioned. We live an unconditioned existence, meaning an existence where we just respond to whatever arises in a generous way all the time, um, and you you kind of bring these these beautiful notes together, you know, one note meaning one incident, and then another thing arises, and that's another note, and so forth, and the next thing you know, you've got this symphonic experience of being. All these are great, but the one piece that is consistent through all of these that I know in, in my bastardization of the teaching, I'm always kind of trying to point to, because it is common, is awareness itself in the midst of any of those things. Awareness itself is gratitude, is freedom, is disidentification. Awareness itself is what supports compassion, is what supports cessation in the way it's been described in the teaching. Awareness itself. So if you think about it, what are we doing in meditation? Meditation is not a panacea. It is not going to cure anything. Meditation does not cure anything. Meditation puts you squarely in the middle of life's burn. But the cool thing is, the more you meditate, the hotter the temperature can be until what is to, to stretch the metaphor here, burned away is precisely what is unnecessary. Now, this takes a rarefied courage because it means meeting your life fully. And most of us figure out really cool and subtle ways to avoid meeting our life fully. And we use little tools and contraptions and negotiations, ego does at least, to keep the full throttle of life from uh, uh, being something we experience. We don't, we don't experience life all in. We experience life kind of all in. And as a result, that kind of is mirrored by an equal and opposite reaction in spiritual physics. That's a new class. I'm sure that's taught somewhere. <laughs> equal and opposite reaction of suffering light. 
all kidding aside, I mean, I think when we start looking at this with with uh, authentic authentic eyes that are uh, whose vision is is supported by meditation, meditation helps us see things more clearly. But it doesn't cure anything. What what cures stuff is our continual participation and that gratitude we talked about in the beginning, where we we started mentioning how just presence itself, presence itself itself starts to melt away the source of suffering, be it suffering light or suffering, you know, major. And that is attachment, clinging. Are you clinging to anything? Are you clinging to a memory? Are you clinging to the way it should be and isn't? Are you clinging? What is it? What are you clinging? Because that's the source of suffering. If we let go, we suddenly can be, as I've mentioned before, uh, in uh, cancer circles, they talk about uh, the new normal that cancer brings. We're always in a new normal. It's never not a new normal. And if you were fighting against the new normal, you were shaking small little fists, as I like to say, at the universe. You will get nowhere with that except suffering because you're clinging to the way it should be rather than opening to the way it is. And there's no thanksgiving there. I know for me, and I tend not to like to talk about this because it can confuse things, but I'm, I'll share with you anyway. For me, what brought me to Zen was a recognition that I had done all this stuff and there was something missing. And then I started to practice and the more I started to practice, the more anger came up in me. And I was really surprised. I finally understood why my, you know, one of my neighbors in Berkeley had this mohawk. Oh, that's why. I get it now. I get it. Yeah, it isn't easy. It isn't easy. It was easy for me. All, pretty much all the, I mean, I had some, you know, fits and starts and bumps in the road and so forth, but pretty much all the way through college, man, I couldn't do anything wrong. Um, I had a very good upbringing. I had a very good, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, there were lots of people to help me set the compass to north in terms of uh, ethics and work at, you know, Ethics not only is in terms of morality, but also I think in terms of work, hard work. This pays off if you. My self-esteem wasn't predicated on oh, good, you're such a good boy. It was that was great. Um, can you wash the car? Yeah, you know there it, 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 there was this this idea that there was payoff with hard work was really a very powerful lesson in my home. Um, that we didn't lie, that we didn't, you know, stuff like that. And I'm not trying to, you know, say lucky me or here's how you should do it. I just was blessed in that way. But what happened was right around the, you know, ending of the collegiate experience for me, it was like, all right, everything else should be easy too, right? No, that's not the way it works. 20s are when you get the shit kicked out of you and no one told me. So that whole process became really, really, really 
powerful, and that's really when I kind of happened into the Zen, the Zen practice. When everything wasn't going my way, and I had a, a real hard time accepting any type of personal savior into my life as a way of, of finding uh, peace, I wanted to go where it didn't feel as threatening, and that's where the Zen came in. For me, it was someone who wasn't any closer to God than I was, but had walked a path significantly different from the one I had walked. And the guy that I ended up sitting in front of first was a guy who very much, like me, had had a very successful thing all the way until college and then realized the harder questions in life were tugging at him more than going into applied mathematics. Meditation didn't help with anger. It helped me acknowledge it. It helped me acknowledge what was at the roots of the anger, which was fear. It helped me recognize that I was afraid of losing everything that I'd worked so hard to gain. No wonder anger shows up. You can't be angry without being afraid. And what are we afraid of? I don't know, but it's always something that relates to loss. And what did meditation do? It helped clarify all those little steps and stages. It helped clarify, oh, I'm afraid of this. Is that something I should really be afraid of? Huh, interesting. Let's experience this fully. That's what the meditation allows for. It allows for us to cultivate a witnessing awareness. Whether or not there is cessation or there's compassion, or that you get you get my point? The awareness becomes absolutely key to this entire experience. We become very aware. And the natural outcropping of awareness is gratitude. And there's a huge difference between going through life from a position of thankfulness and gratitude and going through life resenting. Going through life fearing. And that was the big aha for me, I think, early on. I had some really cool teachers, some really cool experiences, but they were just experiences. What do they do? They provided a new normal. In my in my in my uh, event structure, at least. Um, but I think there's this idea that enlightenment is a panacea, is a cure all, is a oh. Everything's, everything's fine now. Everything's always fine. Everything's always doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, but Trump's in office. What better way to inspire engagement than to have someone who generates fear within you, within your heart and mind? I'm using him as, as an example because he's an obvious one. You don't think that this experience that America and the world is going through right now won't force a reconfiguration? Of course it will. Are you going to let it? Or are you just going to be pissed about it? Or are you going to be pissed about it and then take that anger into the way you think it should be retooled? Well, if that's the case, then you're taking war into the war room. Settle down. Settle down. What's the most generous thing for all concerned, including yourself? Go there. Let that come out of your practice. Because it's the natural outcropping of stillness. It's the natural outcropping 
of presence, which stillness supports. The natural outcropping of shared presence, which stillness supports, is gratitude. Let that explode on the world. So when we can kind of rest in that space, when we can actually really accept that as just an opportunity for each of us, meditation has actually worked to support a series of evolutionary steps within our hearts and minds. But it's not, it's not something that's going to save us. It's something that's going to support our work. We still have to do the work. We still have to be fearless. We still have to engage. This is how transformation occurs. And so to the extent that you might look at enlightenment as transformation, I think that's probably pretty healthy. But what, is it, what does it mean? Well, it's it's, I think, different in different cultural contexts, what it means, but it all relates to awareness. All of it. It all relates to an ability to be so aware that we're no longer defensive. We don't have anything to defend. We start to see through all this positioning that the ego is hell-bent on taking and mastering and using to its advantage. We're all in. We meet things fully. We're no longer partial. We are undivided in our approach towards being in the world. We don't have, we don't give halvesies. We know how to shut up I know that may sound harsh, but there's a tendency when we're not comfortable for people to fall into habitual patterns. And that's among the most common. Stop it. Just for a while. You can do that later. But do you realize that you're doing it? Do you realize why you're doing it? That's a self-examination that's really hard for people. And maybe it's not, maybe that's not what it is. Maybe it's something else. I would say finally one of the things that this practice, meditation specifically, allows for us to do um, is allow for our hearts to break wide open. We start to experience emotion really, really thoroughly and fully. And we recognize that it won't kill us. Heavy-duty emotional responses will not hurt us. They're oddly cleansing, especially when they're experienced alone or in the presence of somebody who can bear it. There are very few of those people. And I think also we can go in a direction there where we indulge it when it becomes part of who we are. not part of who you are, it's just your new normal. And that's going to change. One of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself is a recognition that there isn't a fixed way that you're going to be. That fixed mindset is death. It's the way I am. 
I, no, that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful cop-out. That means there's no such thing as a new normal. That means, that means that there is clinging that's so ferocious that suffering is bound to compound itself exponentially, geometrically. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. What happens if you open? What happens if you wonder? What happens if, this is key, you get curious about your experience, really deeply curious about your experience? That's where things begin to really, really unfold and show themselves in positively therapeutic ways. And I say therapeutic not because they create their own therapy, but they offer us this chance to really know the textures and contours of who and what we are. And that knowledge is awareness. We have to employ awareness in those situations. And the more we do that, the more we exercise those invisible muscles, the more we wake up, the more we transform, the more we are undivided as we meet the world, the more compassion that spontaneously gets offered, the more generosity that spontaneously guides us, the less identification we have, the less attachment we have to things. At least this is the direction points us. It isn't going to do it for you. You have to do it. I have to do it. We get to do it together. And for that, I am thankful. Yeah, sure. Well, what's up? I'm probably the only one in the room that is going to be having Thanksgiving with family members that can be challenging. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, because none of us, we're all golden here. I know, I know. Yeah. So this will be a simple question for everybody else. Very simple for everybody else. We'll, we'll try to work, it, work through it. Everything you talked about tonight can me to be a better person with difficult family members. Mm -hmm. Compassion, self-awareness, um, generosity. Is there something when I am in the moment I can say to myself to remind myself of all of this? Because it's easy to get caught, and in fact I have family members who, who work hard to catch other people. Uh -huh. to irritate other people. It's and a sport. It's a family sport. <laughs> For some people, yes. Let's try to catch Willemus Stable Buddhist Laurel. <laughs> Let's see if we can tweak her a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's awesome. Good for practice. <laughs> it is. How can I center myself in the moment? Go immediately to your breath. Okay. Just... My trick is to either point at them and say, fuck you, <laughs> which kind of works. <laughs> or, I'm teasing, is to, is to take a deep breath and say something like, I bet you're wondering what I'm going to say right now. Everybody just suddenly <laughs> go, 
I, uh, I don't really have much to say to that comment. The tendency is to just shred them. Why? Why? All they're trying to do is test themselves against me and test me. The uh, best way for me to pass that test is make sure I pay very close attention to my breath and what I do, my little voice inside says, don't get caught. Mm -hmm. Don't get caught. I don't know, even a five-second breath can remind Oh, my God, you yes. Don't get caught. Here's the other thing. Family is the most, those stories that we have built around family are the most intense, the heaviest, the most powerful, the closest to it. You know, we talked about armor before. A story is just armor. Those are the ones that are just right on your skin. So the slightest dent I got a brother. I love these guys. I, I'm the oldest of four, which explains nothing, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I'm the oldest of four, and we we continue to just mm, like like that type of thing, both physically and I'm 54 years old, and I had a fork full of food in my mouth, and my brother slaps the back of my head. <coughs> you know, type of, it's like, ha, 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 ha. Everybody's laughing. Mom was in the other room. She didn't see it. Kids didn't see it. It was just the four boys. And suddenly, pecking order started again, immediately in that moment. It was 1977. Breath. I bet you're wondering what I'm going to do with this fork right now. <laughs> I'm going to eat another bite, lay off. And if, it, if the scene is funny, it was, you know, it can be very funny. It can be very funny. I'm just telling you, those meals can be hilarious if you can just kind of take a breath and watch the personalities fly because everybody's got deep stories. Everybody's got tight armor. Everybody's got lances, right? And so it basically is war zone, but it doesn't have to be. It can be amazingly entertaining theater, okay? And if sometimes also if, if, if one of those lances hits, it's okay to sometimes let that be known that it hurts. But if you're doing it from a place of authenticity as opposed to a, oh yeah, right? Then, then what happens is healing can occur they can start to see sometimes their own overstep. The one thing that tends to eradicate any and all of that and really diminishes our consciousness is alcohol. And so uh, I just would recommend that we take great care in that regard. There, there is a presencing that gets lost with uh, the, the consciousness that gets diminished every time. Uh, with alcohol, it doesn't mean you have to be sober, you know. Uh, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a glass is okay, maybe two is okay. Once you start getting into the man, all sorts of the filters are off, and all sorts of other disasters can occur. So, I just think that there 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 are ways of becoming very very present, very very close to your experience, that always involve paying attention to whatever is in front of you, and you, your breath is always there. And if it's not there, that's a whole different issue. Right? If you want to pay attention to, call 911. Right? I hope that kind of makes sense.
can't that wait to hear what happens next week. You're, you're back, you know. You got like stitches or something. And <laughs> Laurel went to town. Yeah. But give that a give that a shot. Seriously. I will. Yeah. See how it goes. You're very welcome. You're welcome. What a little bit of time left. Should anybody else have a have a question? exact way. There's no difference. Absolutely no difference. I, I get that. But when it's compounded by multiple and it gets dangerous. Mm. Well, and, there's and you give the choice mm -hmm. and you choose the negative. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I can stay calm in mm -hmm. that moment and respond and right. I'm aware of all the other kids in the room and then the dynamics of five Danger is not acceptable. That's when I took the step to, because nobody responded to the right. phone. Right. Emergency button didn't work. There you go. So I exited. So safety. 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 That's number one. Okay. Number two, there's no choice when it comes to safety. Mm -hmm. This is the way it will be done. Uh, in, in all situations, you're aware of this step three, three choices. You can either accept it totally as it is, you can work to change it, or you can leave. That's it. In any situation we're in. Now, in those situ in, in the situation you're describing, and I don't have all the de details, but having been in uh, situations, mine happened to be in, in uh, East Harlem. The most frightened I've ever been in a classroom situation. And something was getting, something bad was about to happen. And it was just like, Boy, there's nothing that calls presence. I mean, you cannot help but be present in that situation. And so there's a gift that can come from that in terms of your response. Here again, you got those three choices. But make sure that your, your response is the most generous for all concerned. But what creeps in, mm -hmm. and I'm aware of it, is fighting against the guilt that I couldn't reach. That's all you. That's all me. That's all you, and it's destructive. Guilt is anger directed inwards. It is so worthless. So it's back and forth where I have that consciousness and awareness, and I'm talking it down. And if you're talking it down, it's not awareness. It's ego talking yeah. to itself. <clears throat> so awareness of the guilt is freedom from the yeah. guilt. Awareness from the pain ultimately gives us the path to freedom from the pain. It's the awareness. If there's guilt going on, if there's chatter going on in your own head, that's ego having its own field day with its own tea party <coughs> with itself. Awareness has nothing to do with that. Right. It's just aware of it. Yeah. And it's smiling at it. What a joke. What a waste of time. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's plenty to work with here. I, I can't solve violence. But your response to violence or your response to the option of violence that's the, your gift to everybody all concerned is going to be your presence that you bring to that very, very tense moment. But it's just like Laurel. Yeah. And that's interesting in listening to you say that because that was the response from the rest of the kids in the room. Uh-huh. That that situation was now removed. 
because mm-hmm. once I step down to get help, they make love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sometimes that's all you can do. But at the same time, I mean, I think all stu- one of the things that I have found in my third decade now of being around teens, especially, is how much they are desperate for you to show power mm-hmm. and how they, 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 that's the way you show a kid you love them is by saying, oh, here are the boundaries. And the kid's job is to go, ah, 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 right? And then that's when the parenting or the teaching or the authority gets up because then it's like, oh, no. remember we talked about this? Yeah, well, screw you. And at that point, then you say, okay, well, remember, we also talked about the consequence, and here's the consequence. And if you don't give that consequence, you have just created a demon. And society as a whole does not deal well with demons when they graduate. They have more, you are creating pain by not, you know, bringing them back back into line and whatever, you know. And it's not about, that's a very loving thing. It's not necessarily about this. Right. It's sometimes, yeah, at least that fire is felt. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't hit our kids, okay, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that, I think, is a really, it's lost on people, too. This whole self-esteem movement has destroyed a generation of kids and a generation of educators. I agree. And, 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 and it's not that self-esteem isn't important, mm-hmm. but self-esteem is not spoon-fed. Exactly. Self-esteem comes from an internal locus of control, and we give them that by showing them our own. That's the greatest gift I think we can give as educators. Mm-hmm. Not that I have an opinion about any of this. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's any attachment to any of this, but I do think it's a very, very powerful. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful inward step that we get to take in a classroom, you know, setting when, like, whether it's a family. I mean, families can even be in, in many respects more difficult because usually there's more alcohol mm-hmm. usually sometimes those classrooms can be really kind of crazy you know if, if a kid's on something but still it's just it's the same thing what's my response what's my response and it sounds to me like you did exactly what you needed to do now the one thing I would caution against guilt is worthless mm-hmm. it is worthless it is worthless. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's ego tiring itself out. Now, the cool thing is you could keep beating yourself up with guilt as much as you possibly can until you're exhausted. And then you surrender. Or you could surrender first. I recommend the latter. Right? Who thinks this? Um, in terms of working with kids, you didn't, you didn't hear me, did you? No. Who thinks it's important? The I. Ego thinks mm-hmm. all this is very important. Watch that. Mm-hmm. Just watch it. Not that it's wrong, but that's that's the attachment that leads to suffering, right? Mm-hmm. But it's low grade.